it's not always how you start, but it's how you finish. The Oklahoma Sooners ended up running away with a big 30-point win over the Kent State Golden Flashes. But is there more to the story? We'll talk about on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog. Sign up for underdogfantasy.com with the promo code Locked On and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Thank you for joining us on this victory edition of Locked On Sooners. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams, and he's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref. And Norman, Josh, what a weekend it was. It started off a little bit sluggish for the Oklahoma Sooners. But by the end of the second half, we finally actually picked up a little bit of offensive steam and then it got carried away in the second half. That third quarter was really impressive for Oklahoma, obviously. And once the day is kind of all said and done, even though it was a it was a poor beginning and, you know, not being able to run the football for Oklahoma. I mean, what was it like? Right there before that scoring drive at the end of the first half, I want to say Oklahoma had something like seven rushing yards, which against Kent State is, quite frankly, it's embarrassing. And it was a you know all-around bad offensive performance for that first, oh, what, three series of four series of the football game for Oklahoma. Then kind of you exhale, you get that touchdown right before half, and then off to the races in the third quarter. And you wind up, Ending up this football game, John, and I just looking at the final box score here, Dylan Gabriel almost throws for 300 yards. He's right there, just shy of it. Three touchdown passes for Gabriel. And once it's all said and done, even though Oklahoma, again, right there at the tail end of the first half before that scoring drive, John, when they had, I think, less than 10 yards rushing, I thought by the end of it, both Eric Gray and Marcus Major wound up having kind of impressive days, did some nice things both. Yeah, it was one of those weird, weird games where and kind of like the first game in a little bit, you know, they jumped out to a quick early lead and then had that second quarter lull before getting the score before the end of, end of the half. And it just kind of left you like, well, OK, at least we've we've done some really, really good things. We've got some things we got to work on. Well, we had like 29 minutes of offensive football that was not good by the Oklahoma Sooners. You're right. Seven yards rushing on 13 attempts in the first half. Seven. Now, I know that they limited Washington to something like 3.5, 3.6 yards per carry in the first game of the season, but to be limited to less than a yard per carry and seven yards rushing in the first half is just absolutely inexcusable. And there was talk that Bill Biedenboe was laying into the offensive line on the sideline before the end of the first half, and for good reason. Like That's absolutely embarrassing. Kent State might be really good up front. They've got some players that might be really, really good. They've, they've got one linebacker who's fantastic but there's no reason they should be able to hold you to that poor of an outcome or that poor of an effort rushing the football. I mean, it really, it was just bad. It was all the way, all, all around bad. And I think a lot of people watching the game were like, okay, the running game is not working. I didn't really feel like they were being super aggressive throwing the football, whatever they were doing. It was just, it, it wasn't really working either. I don't know if they came into this game, just not with the right mindset. 
and felt like that they were going to be able to just kind of walk in and then roll over Kent State. But I think if, if they'd have been paying attention to anything that happened earlier that day, which maybe they weren't, maybe they didn't see any of the scores, probably not. But I think a lot of Oklahoma Sooners fans were like, okay, we better not be overlooking Kent State at all because you know we saw Marshall beat Notre Dame and we saw App State beat Texas A&M and just a weird day happening in college football. Texas hanging with Alabama. So you're like, anything could happen. And then as the first quarter is going along and you're kind of creeping into the second quarter, I don't know about you, Josh, but I started thinking to myself, like, is Oklahoma going to fall prey to this crazy Saturday that we're seeing in week two of college football? Yeah, I don't know if I ever got got to that point. Kind of thought eventually Oklahoma would flip the switch. And the, the you know, as many things that you could be frustrated about offensively for Oklahoma – I mean, again, you know, the and we can, I guess, jump into this maybe next, but one of the things that would give you confidence is Oklahoma was doing so many nice things defensively, right? Which, again, that probably deserves an extended conversation about what that means for Oklahoma coming out of this football game. But you're right. I mean, what a weird day in college football. Uh, you know, weird in the sense that we saw some results for both Notre Dame and Texas A&M that a lot of people didn't see coming, even though – Welcome back to reality, Texas A&M. I guess, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher, congratulations. You did what Texas A&M typically does in a college football season. Lost a football game that nobody expected you to lose, but congratulations, you were able to get that accomplished again. Yeah, it was uh, just a weird start for Oklahoma offensively. I don't know how much – I'm, I'm kind of torn on how much do we take out of it. If there is something to take out of it, I mean, I think coming out of the first two games, right – the area clearly to be concerned is what you mentioned right there with Bill Biedenboe laying into the offensive line. I mean, that has to, on some level, we can chalk it up to, hey, it was a strange Saturday in college football. And a little bit of that seeped into Norman, Oklahoma. We saw that here. But ultimately, hey, the final drive of the first half, the third quarter that was great for OU, it's problematic that they were not able to establish their physicality the way that you wanted to see in the first half versus Kent State. I know that they're going to see a Nebraska team that, oh, by the way, now all of a sudden we thought it wouldn't happen until after the beginning of October when that Scott Frost buyout came down. Well, now Scott Frost is gone. It's a Nebraska team that's going to be hungry to try and make any sort of a statement that there's some pride left in Nebraska Cornhusker football. So you're about to, even though Nebraska's, look, we know what happened in Nebraska too, right? We saw them lose to Northwestern. We saw what happened this weekend. It's a proud Nebraska team that is a Power 5 opponent that's going to want to make a statement versus Oklahoma. So if you think that Oklahoma isn't going to have to ramp the physicality up versus Nebraska this coming weekend, I think you're sadly mistaken. So that part, that would be the piece that's problematic, John. Why, why can Oklahoma offensively, what's going on with the offensive line? And it seems like, and Venables touched on this in his post game, that the passing game has had to be the key to opening up the running game for the Oklahoma Sooners both weeks. And that played out on, on Saturday against Kent State where nothing's working offensively. They finally get the big you know chunk play to Marvin Mims. Really, that whole final drive, I, I mean, Dylan Gabriel was perfect. He went 5 of 5 to lead Oklahoma down the, the field to that score. The only miscue was a, a false start uh, that set him back a little bit, but that didn't even seem to bother them. But Dylan Gabriel hits the 36-yard touchdown pass to Marvin Mims, and that completely changed the complexity of the football game. And it kind of provided the, the optimism like, okay, all right, everybody, we can breathe. It's going to be okay. Oklahoma's going to end up winning this game. 
But for much of that first half, that was not the case. I think as each drive stalled out, as each play did not go in Oklahoma's way or Oklahoma's favor, and it wasn't successful. Every time one of those happened, you're like, kind of got a little bit more concerned, a little bit more concerned. And you felt like, you know, going into halftime that they'd be able to turn it on. And thankfully they were able to do that. And really before half, but then that finally in that, you know, third quarter, that's when they really started to establish like, okay, we're Oklahoma. We're the better team. We've got the, the more talented pieces and the offensive line got some push, created some holes. Eric Gray, Marcus Major, both had some big runs. You know, Eric Gray had the big 44-yard run down the left side. Marcus Major had the sweet, absolutely sweet touchdown run. I mean, it was beautiful. And I think in that run, I think a lot of people decided, okay, we need to start seeing more Marcus Major uh, in this offense. But it was good to see them, like, go from, like, okay, we played 29 minutes of bad football to 18 minutes of game time of dominant football where that's where they scored those 33 points was in that 18 minutes of, of game time to put it away. And then you could kind of coast to the end. So we need to ask ourselves, like, at what point is Oklahoma going to be able to play a complete football game? Because that's what it's going to, that's, that's going to be what it takes against Nebraska on the road in a tough environment against what you mentioned, a, a proud team. A lot of times these head coach firings can galvanize a team and they can rally and play better football, play inspired football. And so Oklahoma better be on guard. They better be prepared. But we're going to talk a lot about the defense because the defense was absolutely the star of the show. I mean, Marvin Mims, he deserves some some flowers as well because, I mean, without him and some of his heroics and being just the dynamic playmaker he is, I don't know if Oklahoma necessarily puts 33 points up on the board. But we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about Marvin Mims a little bit later. We're going to talk about the defense coming up next. But first, let's talk about underdog. Underdog fantasy is where you want to play this fantasy football season. We're brought to you by underdog. It's the easiest place to spice up college football season with an emphasis on easy to get started and easy to play while you watch your favorite team play. Again, easy to play. I've been playing with underdog for several years now. You can win cold, hard cash in a single game but just by doing you know, best ball drafts. Like You can get a draft done in 15, 20 minutes, or you can do a longer draft. You can get going at underdog. It's a great place to get your fantasy fix. They got a great app, easy to use, easy to download in the app store or the Google play store. You can go use our promo code locked on. You can get a hundred dollars free. If you deposit up to a hundred dollars, again, they'll match up to $100 on your first deposit using our promo code locked on again, get in on the college football, pick them to action today over at underdog fantasy and Josh, let's talk defense because that was really the star of the show. The Oklahoma Sooners defense came to play. Now, it wasn't a, a completely perfect game from them either, but without the defense and the way that they would rally on a lot of these drives, this Oklahoma football team potentially gets rolled. But the defense came. They stepped up, made a lot of splash plays. I mean, I think it was 14 tackles for loss on the game, three sacks. Overall, just, Josh, talk about the defense, just your big impression on that front. I think my big impression is overall, I like the physicality of this defense. I like the way that I think uh, just even going back today and watching the highlights again, one play that stood out is Woody Washington at the line of scrimmage, just bumping a receiver. I just like the way that they operate right now defensively as compared to some of the things that Oklahoma just wasn't doing in the past, not being competitive 
with receivers in that respect, right? A little bump coverage. So I thought that was great. Danny Stutzman, I think, uh, is a star now in college football. He's clearly, if uh, if it's not Billy Bowman, that it's Danny Stutzman that, that is Oklahoma's best defensive player. I mean, the way that he was flying around, man, and uh, collected 12 more tackles this week for Oklahoma, had four TFLs, nine of his tackles were solo tackles. I mean, the guy, we knew that he was uh, – somebody that could get around and get his hat on the football. We saw glimpses of that as a true freshman. We know he's a little bit of a wild child in the most positive and affectionate manner that I can say that. And I just think we've seen that through a couple of games that now Danny Stutzman has really, really elevated his play. And John, he might be the best player on this defense for Oklahoma now. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. Now, it's still early in the season. we got to see him against some Power 5 competition, in my opinion. I think it's great. And I think his stock is rising and he's trending in the absolutely correct direction in the right direction. One stat I love to look at over at pro football focus. Now, a lot of people aren't crazy about pro football focus grades. I completely understand that. But one of their stats that I like is their stops stat. And this is measures just efficiency. So they look at play efficiency and was the play successful for the defense based on, you know, formula that they use, you know, first down, do they gain 60% of the yards? Second down, I think it's like they have to gain 50% of the yards necessary to get a first down. Third down, fourth down, they have to gain 100% of the yards needed to get a first down. So what they do is they kind of take the inverse of that. And if you if the defense, you know, uh, prevents them from gaining the necessary yards to be what's called a successful play, they award that player with a stop. Well, Danny Stutzman had seven stops. So seven of his 12 tackles or you know plays were stops, meaning he prevented the Kent State offense from being successful on a given play seven times. That is, that's a huge number, like to be more than half of your plays. Like, cause a lot of times the guys can, they can, you know, get a lot of tackles, but they're like five, six, seven yards down the field and they might rack up a ton of tackles that way. That wasn't the case with Danny Stutzman. Like he was living in the backfield and he was making life terribly difficult for the Kent state offense. Kent, I mean, Kent state's quarterback, dude, he's a gamer and he made things really, really challenging for Oklahoma's defense because of his, his athletic ability, his physicality, his toughness, but Danny Stetsman, man, he brought it. And I, I think we're onto something here. You're onto something like that. He might be Oklahoma's best player. Another guy that is kind of making a case for that right now is Reggie Grimes. Dude had two and a half sacks in the opener against UTEP, another sack and a half and another tackle for loss against Kent State. I mean, the guy just plays with a great physicality and tenacity. And we, we talked about it last week, this, this dude that's tenacious on the pass rush. I mean, Ethan Downs was kind of the guy everybody else pegged as the breakout star amongst the defensive end group. I had Marcus Stripling, who really has yet to make an impact much. But Reggie Grimes, man, he's the guy that, he, I mean, right now he's got four sacks on the season. It's not unreasonable to think he gets 10 sacks this year in kind of his first year as a starter. So a lot of guys that are really, really standing out right now on this defense. And I think you mentioned it, like the, the physicality and the toughness that in which they play. The other thing that really stood out to me is like less than half of their tackles or less than half of the plays that Kent state ran were there like a solo tackle on, which meant there's a ton of guys getting assisted tackles. And I think that's a great thing that you're getting game tackling, team tackling. Did they miss a bunch of tackles again? Yeah, they did. 18 missed tackles according to Pro Football Focus. But I think it, some of this is just the quarterback. I mean, the quarterback was just making 
these guys miss once they got into the backfield. Even if it was a successful pass rush, they weren't able to bring him down on first contact. I mean, the safety play, like they had him dead to rights in the end zone. And if it weren't for him you know, stepping out of bounds, he was able to, to, he was almost able to salvage that play, but that's kind of some of it is just sometimes you get a quarterback that's just really difficult to bring down and it, it kind of accentuates your missed tackle number. Um, Brent Venables did discuss that in the post game as well, that he thought they missed too many tackles and I'd agree, but overall just the defense was great. I mean, they didn't always play great every single drive, but they made the great play that they needed to make in order to get off the field when they needed to get off the field. Nice to see Davis and Billy Bowman combine for that fumble, you know, strip there and, you know, get the turnover for Oklahoma. That's again, just part of the fabric that you want this Oklahoma defense. We hear about OU DNA. Well, that's what you want OU DNA to look like is creating turnovers. I just look up, up and down the box where there's some impressive performances Stutzman, 12 tackles, Broyles and Bowman both had 11. I mean, you talked a little bit about this, John, but for Stutzman and for Grimes and for Redmond to each have more than two and a half or more tackles for loss, I get it's Kent State, but those are outrageous numbers. I mean, that's very impressive that those three were able to go do that in this football game. And then I look at the all-important number, which – Hey, we can, and again, off off the top, I do think there's some alarming things going on with Oklahoma's offensive line, but look, credit given where credit's due, and at the end of the day, the game of football is how many points do you score and how many points do you give up, and Oklahoma only gives up three in this football game, so it was a hell of a performance defensively. Yeah, so now they're averaging just eight points a game as a defense in points allowed, which is fantastic. You're going to win a lot of football games if you allow fewer than even, say, 17 points per game, which is probably where we'll end up closer to by the time the season's over, 17 to 20. But if you allow, on average, 17 to 20 points a game, you're going to win a lot of football games. And Oklahoma's trending in the right direction. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to be cleaned up, a lot of things that they're going to have to improve upon, especially just this idea of playing a complete football game. The defense, I felt like they did that. Did Kent State get the field goal? Sure. Did they pick up some pretty incredible third downs? Yeah. I mean, they, they made some great plays too, but you know, it's like we talk about when you talk about in the NFL, like those guys get paid too. Well, there's these guys are playing college football at the FBS level for a reason. They're good players. They're, they're not all just kind of guard. I mean, and Brent Venables talked about it all week. Like this was a team that won their conference or played for their conference title last year, a team that gave A&M fits last season as well. So they weren't a, a complete pushover of a football team. And Oklahoma has been challenged at times in both of these opening games. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's, it's good for this team to, to see how they respond to the challenge that they face. It's like, you know, the, the best boxer in the world kind of getting, getting hit one time or getting knocked down once. I'm like, Oh, okay. All right, cool. They're ready to, they're ready to play. They're ready to fight. Well, Oklahoma is going to have to be ready to, kind of take that on from the first snap on, but they're seeing that they can kind of take the punch or they can get knocked down and then get back up again. Sorry to quote Chumbawamba all of a sudden, but it happened. Um, so th- it is good that they saw a few of those things in this game, some of the intangible things, but defensively I'm, I'm stoked with where this defense is at. I think it's going to get even better as they go along. It was nice, too, wasn't it, to see Justin Harrington get that interception late. I mean, that was a really nice play by him. 
just kind of had the right uh, – well, excuse me, had the route timed up, kind of knew what the quarterback was doing. And actually, if he doesn't bobble it there, probably racing into the end zone for a pick six for Oklahoma, which, again, I'm team Mr. Harrington after hearing about the buzz all of, well, last year throughout the spring and then all of this year throughout the fall. So nice to see him out there actually making a football play. It was a good one. Yeah, I think it's going to we're going to see more of that. You know, it's one of those like in this game, you look at the snap counts and your your linebackers, David Aguebu and uh, Danny Stutzman, you know, they didn't play the most snaps like they did against UTEP because a lot of the formations that Kent State was throwing out you, you needed to play guys that were going to be quicker, lighter, you know, guys that could cover a little bit better, a lot more defensive backs than you might have played otherwise. And so you're going to as we go throughout the season, it's good to see also that they're not going to be just so hard and fast with who they're playing. They'll be willing to match up, you know, personnel groupings based on who they, who they're facing and what the other team is doing a little bit too. So it's good to see all these guys getting a lot of reps, a, a guy like Justin Harrington, even though he might not start, I think he ended up with something like 30 snaps uh, on the defense. Um, where is it at? Uh, yeah, 25 snaps defensively. I mean, you had 14 guys play at least 25 snaps, uh, 18 guys playing, you know, at least 20 snaps in this game. So I, I think that's a great thing for this team to have enough guys that you can, you can throw out there. I mean, a guy like Kel- Kelvin Gilliam, he was in early in the first quarter and he made a big splash play tackle for loss. You know, they're, they're digging deep into the well and they're getting guys out on the field. And I think it's just going to only improve everybody. Like if everybody gets playing time and everybody's able to play and make plays, it's going to make everybody much better. We'll keep talking about some of our takeaways from this game. We got to we got to talk about Marvin Mims. I mean, I feel like he deserves a whole segment of our time because what are we going to do without marvelous Marvin Mims when he goes to the NFL? But first, Josh is going to talk to you about our folks over at LinkedIn. As you gear up for fall. You need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs, it's here to make it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster and for free. It's simple. Just create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job to the purple Hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately who you'd like to hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one numero uno in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs, it helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to again faster. And did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers, where do they visit? They're visiting LinkedIn. So post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Marvin Mims, I, I told you, man, I thought that this was going to set up for Marvin Mims to really, really have a day where... Oklahoma featured him as its star wide receiver simply because really week one, we just, we we didn't see anybody really break out in the receiving department. Oklahoma made a point to obviously feature him, you know, early and often, even in that first half where things didn't go very well, who was it that got things going? Well, it was Marvin Mims that got things going. He finishes with seven grabs, a buck 63, John in a couple of tugs. 
Marvin Mims was exactly who Marvin Mims was built to be, right? The superstar offensively for Oklahoma in that receiving core. And it's about time. It's about time we see him getting eight targets in a game. You know, this is a guy that I think more often than not, he was only getting like four or five targets under the previous administration. You know, he had just four targets last week. Now, they didn't need to throw the ball a a bunch last week to get back in this game. But you're right. Anytime that they were getting any kind of momentum going offensively, it's when they were targeting Marvin Mims. Even if the drive didn't end up in points, when they got going, it was Marvin Mims that was kind of setting the table for this team. They've got to make sure that that is a priority going forward. Theo Weiss is good. He's a good player. Drake Stoops is a really good player. Had a fantastic touchdown. That's one. That's going to be one of those touchdowns that we see highlighted for years to come. Like very much like the Marvin Mims catch at the you know diving catch at the pylon against Texas last year, or you know the Kennedy Brooks run. Like the Stoops catch, it may not have been against a you know premier opponent, but that that catch and run and dive to the pylon was just absolutely amazing. But Marvin Mims is your feature. He's the guy that's going to really get things moving. And when teams really make a concerted effort to take him away, then you can go to guys like Theo Weiss or Drake Stoops. But you have to make sure that he's the most important part of your offensive passing game plan is getting the ball to Marvin Mims. Another, I mean, because we saw like Jaleel Farouk just had one target didn't convert it. Braden Willis had a great game last week. It was underwhelming this week. I'm sure he'd tell you the same thing. Had four targets, just one catch for four yards, had a drop. Um, you know, the, the wide receiver group is still a pro in pro a, a group that is building. It's a work in progress. And until we get to a point where we feel comfortable that, okay, we can throw five to six targets toward Jalil Farouk or Jaden Gibson or, you know, anybody else, then we got to make sure that Marvin Mims is getting that eight to 10 targets a game. And because I feel really comfortable that if we get him eight to 10 targets a game, he's going to convert six to seven or eight of those into receptions. And I mean, the dude's averaging over 20 yards per reception on the season already through two games. You got to make sure that you feature that big playability. And it doesn't always have to be a go route that's down the sideline. Like they were doing a really good job at working him over the middle too. And he was making some big plays, big catches and runs as well. So make sure we get the ball to Marvin Mims. And we got to talk about it. Like, okay, at what point does Marcus Major deserve to be kind of featured on the same level as Eric Gray? Well, first off, let me just say this about Marvin Mims. Football is obviously we know it's a complicated game, right? Lots of coverages, lots of plays offensively that you need to learn. I get it. It's not a simple game. Sometimes I think we make football a little too complicated. If you got somebody like Marvin Mims, make the defense stop Marvin Mims, right? Show me that you can take Marvin Mims away. If not, keep going back to the well. It's okay. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I think sometimes Lincoln Riley was the victim of that trying to be the smartest guy in the room. It's okay. Jeff Levy understands that, right? That's one thing that I, I, I do like about Jeff Levy is, hey, he's cool. If Marvin Mims needs 130, touch, 130 targets this season, guess what? He's going to get 130 targets this season to Marvin Mims. So we saw, I think, a sneak peek, a glimpse of that versus Kent State this weekend. And I love it. I think it's a welcome sight. Marcus Major, dude, the shake that he had on that touchdown run was great. And actually, we saw a little bit of that kind of similar qualities from Eric Gray on his big run 
that set up that incredible Stoops catch that you were talking about, catch and run for the touchdown where he tight roped and dove in and reached out for the pylon it was amazing. So I'm with you. I, I, at this point, I was pretty skeptical about who and what Marcus Major was and what he was going to bring to the table for Oklahoma just because outside of a you know bowl game moment here or there or some late game moments, really hadn't seen Marcus Major in kind of the important moments of football games. Now we're starting to get a little bit more of that. And I love the way he runs, man. He runs hard. He can catch out of the backfield a little bit as well. So, yeah, I, I'm fine with it, man. And anytime with running backs, you don't have to completely give the workload to one guy. I mean, look, unless that guy's Adrian Peterson, it's probably not the worst thing to divvy that up a little bit. Yeah, and I'm not even saying you got to take away all of Eric Gray's carries, but like Marcus Major had seven carries last week, five carries this week. There's something there. He runs with a, a, a style that I feel like fits Brett and Venables to a T. Just an aggressive guy. He's quick on his feet, but he's always moving forward. I think we start to see more of him against Nebraska, and as things kind of move forward, uh, you know, especially as games get tighter and we're not necessarily you know, using you know, Javante Barnes or Tawi Walker as much, Marcus Major is going to get a lot more run. And again, Eric Gray, he was good in that second half. He got the big, the big run. But in the first half, both he and Marcus Major really in the first half and the offensive line included just weren't very good. But I think like moving forward, this is going to be a team that realizes like we can't sleep on anybody. We got to come out playing our A game from the opening whistle. We can't expect to just have people lay down for us. Hopefully getting Wanya Morris back at some point also helps some things, but there's, there's things that they got to work on um, with the offensive front. I mean, we, we got through this whole episode, Josh, we didn't really talk about Dylan Gabriel. So we're going to have to save that for tomorrow's episode. Cause I thought there were times that he was really, really good, especially in that two minute drill. I think he'll deserve just part of our conversation altogether, but that's going to do it for today's episode of locked on Sooners. Thank you so much for tuning in and subscribing to the show, wherever you get your podcasts We're free and available on all platforms. Go check us out over on YouTube as well. Subscribe to the show over there, hit the like button and drop a comment. Just let, let us know what you think. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? What do you think we can kind of perceive about Oklahoma now through two games? What's their outlook looking like for the rest of the 2022 season, but that's going to do it. For Josh Helmer, I'm John Williams. We'll catch you next time. Boomer Sooner.